This is IAQ Radio, Indoor Air Quality Radio, the voice of the indoor air quality industry, with your hosts, Radio Joe Hughes and the Z-Man, Cliff Zlotnick. And now, Radio Joe Hughes. Good day and welcome to IAQ Radio Plus, episode 679. This week, we welcome Dr. Serene L. Momin, CEO of Sensorware. And we're going to talk about sensors, IAQ, and IoT, putting the pieces together. Before we get started, let's thank our sponsors. They're the reason we can continue doing the show. And don't forget, after the show, we have the afterthoughts.iaqradio.com, where you can continue the discussion, sponsored by First On Site. Our marquee sponsor is First On Site at firstonsite.com. Our association sponsors are the American Conference of Governmental Industrial Hygienists, ACGIH.org, the American Industrial Hygiene Association, AIHA.org, the Cleaning Industry Research Institute, CIRIScience.org, the Institute for Inspection, Cleaning, and Restoration Certification, IICRC.org. Industry sponsors are AEML Laboratories, AEMLINC.com, Particles Plus, ParticlesPlus.com, TSI Inc., TSI.com, Sunbelt Rentals, SunbeltRentals.com, April Air, April AIRE.com, Healthy Indoors Magazine, HealthyIndoors.com. And now you can win a cool prize. It's time for the IAQ Radio Trivia Question. Be the first to correctly answer. Simply email your answer to czlotnick at cs.com. Or if listening live, just text your answer from your computer. And now, here's the Z-Man. All right, the Z-Man's away today, so I will take the trivia question. The IAQ Radio Trivia Question for October 28, 2022, is sponsored by TSI Inc., an industry leader in precision instrumentation for monitoring indoor air. Learn how to expand your IAQ investigations at TSI.com. Here's the question. How many connected IoT devices are estimated to be in existence today? All right. So today we've got Dr. Serene L. Moment. She has built SenseAware from the ground up. She found a niche group of building owners, engineers, general contractors, and energy consultants that were at a disadvantage by not having wireless instant access to real-time facility and site data. As the co-founder and CEO of a high-growth technology company, she worked to provide a modern IoT-enabled technological solution to an age-old issue in an industry that was previously ignored by the IoT sector, the commercial and industrial real estate industry. Welcome on, welcome to IAQ Radio, Dr. Omoen. Thank you for having me. So excited to be here. It's great to have you. I've had a great time chatting with you during the week to kind of get ready for today. As a lot of our listeners know, we've been, this is kind of like putting it all together. We had, um, let's see, Subu, Submarine, Subaranian on. We talked about sensors, and then we had Marwa Zatari, Christian Weeks, and Eric Malmstrom. Um, they were, you know, involved in this same kind of platforms. And then we had Mark Ames at the White House Summit on IAQ, and they had the guy on from, um, 
Denver Public Schools. And when I started talking to you, I didn't realize then he's using your 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 product. So uh, congratulations. Uh, this yeah. is a, a great way to kind of tie it all together. Absolutely. But anyway, I want to welcome you and let, let's talk a little bit how you got started in this industry. I went, you know, I, I gave kind of the background. Um, how did this issue first come to your attention? Yeah, that's a good uh, question. I uh, It's an interesting story. Uh, so I'm by background, I'm a software engineer. Uh, so I started right out of college, just uh, cranking code, uh, debugging software uh applications especially for the government as a government contractor and, and things like that i and then continued my um uh, graduate degree um in uh, and moved into focusing on healthcare uh, it uh and um uh, during um just the last kind of stretch of uh, fi uh, finishing out my phd degree uh, I met my current uh, partner in a conference in Portugal that was related to healthcare, uh, and uh, he was talking about some of his um, invention and research work. And um, I uh, always wanted to start my own business and entrepreneurial <laughs> by DNA. I would say it came from that uh, family kind of experience as well and background. And always scanning for the light bulb moment where I hear something that I feel like, oh, I can take this and, and make something out of it. And, and that happened to me in that, um, at that conference when I met my current partner. He was talking about his um, work in Parkinson's disease research. And it was it revolved around using sensor technology to better uh, to improve that whole process for physicians. And uh, and using sensor data and uh, connecting the physical world to uh, the digital world, and it's just all of these factors. And given my background and passion to do something uh, significant, uh, the idea behind Senseware came about. So that's that's how uh, it all started. And. Are you still working in the healthcare sector at all, or did you put all the focus now on this um, indoor air quality segment? Um, we started wanting to target that market, so we took that invention that Julian, my my our current CTO, my partner, put together, which used accelerometers as, as a way, a sensor uh, technology to better assess Parkinson's disease patients. And one of the things that we started with is as part of that research, there were two areas of improvement. One was related to adding other types of sensors, not just accelerometers, because with uh, those types of patients that tremors have movement sideways, not just issues with acceleration. So a sensor like gyroscope would be great to add to the mix. So just having multi-sensor technology was an area of improvement that we wanted to develop. And the other piece of it is that the sensor technology at that time was in early stages, uh, and we knew that they will Im continuously improve into the future. So we wanted to also create a technology that you were able to exchange even the same type of sensor with the new uh, advanced uh, uh, versions of those sensors into the future. And so we did that. That's really what we created, a multi-sensor 
technology that is able to add new sensors on the fly and also exchange existing sensors with new and improved uh, sensors. And we wanted to target the healthcare industry with that, given the background. But we did find um, interest mostly from the built environment uh, and buildings and building operators that uh, came to us and said, well, if you're able to connect to any sensor and change the sensors and the data that you're collecting in real time, can you do the same thing for our buildings? And that took us into this market where we found uh, the most success and interest in this type of technology. So that's what we're focused on right now. But in, in, uh, the, if, you, if you look at it, in, instead of just getting real-time data and status from patients, we're doing kind of the same thing, but for buildings. We're monitoring the health and the status and the state of the buildings in real time uh, in kind of the same way, but just different type of um, uh, application. I see you've got this detail up here. What are we looking at now? Um, uh, this you mentioned Denver Public School and listening to the superintendent in uh, the White House Indoor Air Quality Summit that happened a few weeks ago. This is just a quick uh, uh, snapshot of what uh, the dashboard looks like uh, at one of the schools in Denver uh, with the real-time data uh, uh, overlaid on top of this. So all the green dots are where the IQ sensors are deployed and the color changes based on um, the thresholds that are set up. And we've worked um, in collaboration with Dr. Mark Hernandez to and the school uh, environmental services team headed by uh, uh, Joni Ricks, uh, who uh, came up with the right thresholds for the types of schools or the types of building and the systems in schools. So this would change to yellow and green based on all of those factors. Uh, and um, uh, the people on site and anyone that needs to know that something exceeded the threshold will get an email and a text alert. So this is the way of continuously around the clock 24 seven, keeping that environment, the school building uh, and classrooms at a healthy acceptable level. Uh, Are there also red red dots? Is it green, yellow, red, or just green yes, and yellow? Green, yellow, red, <laughs> for sure. Okay. And uh, we've seen reds in places where we didn't expect, which is the power of sensors, where you're able to see the unseen, and sometimes you're feeling comfortable in a place. You're not. Uh, there's no odor or stuffiness or whatnot, but that doesn't mean everything is fine. And we've had many situations where this is red and it's surprising and it's a real issue that just no one knew and sensors could okay. pick up on them. All right. One of our audience, Ralph, read my mind here. What are what parameters are they monitoring here? Is this particulate, yeah, CO, CO2? Yes, um, and the standard would include uh, temperature, humidity, particulate matter, uh, sensors, CO2 levels, and VOC. Um, and you see some of those here, you know, in this other Interesting. View. And, um, you know, that's kind of the, the typical one. And then what we also do, you see a small... Um, a small uh, uh, widget up there that is named v VPI uh, after the PM. And that's called, the, uh, that stands for the Ventilation Performance Index. 
And the idea oh. behind this particular data point, this is not coming from a sensor. It's using the sensor data to create an, a calculated metrics around ventilation uh, performance. So it's taking contaminants levels like CO2, VOC, and particulate matter, and looking at the rate of decay over time. And that would tell you, okay, even if there are elevated levels in these contaminant, uh, um, uh, these contaminants in the space, if they're removed at a good rate, then there's nothing to be worried about, and which we feel is another layer to just looking at sensor data, using analytics to have more consultative uh, action-based uh, changes. And now, how often are these sensors calibrated? Yes, that's a good question. Um, the way we, we approach it is that we pick sensors that are either auto-calibrate or have low drifts. Uh, and the reasons we do that is that practically it's really hard, especially at large scale implementation. We're looking at schools that are going to deploy in every classroom. It could be 10,000 of units uh, to calibrate. So we look at accuracy of sensor and the, also the, the sensors that can auto calibrate. Uh, so you don't have to maintain the sensors or replace them on a regular basis, which could be prohibitive. Uh, so that's the approach we are using with our sensors. Now, are these off-the-shelf sensors, or are these things that you've built to work with your system? Uh, so they, they are third-party sensors that uh, we use and uh, procure from the sensor manufacturers. Uh, and we, uh, we integrate them with our own solution uh, around indoor air quality monitoring. So we take those different sensors, we place them in our own hardware that we designed that is a wireless-based type system. So we uh, take care of also that piece, creating a wireless network in the space where they're deployed. And then um, we also develop the cloud dashboard that you're seeing right now. Uh, that's all our solution, but the actual sensors come from the sensor manufacturers. So when when something is off and it's in the red zone, does someone automatically get an alert, or or is it exactly. how does that work? Yes. Yeah, so we um, we create teams that need to know. So there are teams that are people within the uh, building or uh, or the organization that don't necessarily need to get alerts, but the team that need to get the alert so that they know and can address the issue, get uh, real-time alerts uh, via email or text uh, so that they know as the issues are happening and are able to make the changes in near real-time to keep things at a good level around the clock. Now, from your, you were kind of coming in with somewhat of an outsider's perspective on, on the whole IAQ issue. Um, I'm wondering, what was your first impression when you started looking at how buildings and schools and, and people in general are evaluating their indoor air quality? Yeah, it's um, it's it was very insightful as we got more into understanding the different types of, of buildings. The main thing that we have um we've learned very quickly is that there is a big uh, issue around knowing what's happening in real time uh, in, the, in, these, uh, in these environments. 
Um, so that the lack of um, visibility around very important aspect of of uh, buildings was, you know, the big big kind of eye open opener for us. Um, and so that that was one thing, and a lot of uh, a lot of those organizations and operators of buildings kind of started with an intervention. So when they were thinking about, okay, we need to operate the building to be also healthy, um, they uh, started thinking, oh, we need to install uh, HEPA filters and change filtration, all that stuff, which is amazing. But what had happened as they did that is that the confidence was still not um, increasing in people wanting to go back or feeling comfortable going back in indoor spaces, especially in schools. And the reason behind that is that they didn't have the data to show that things are working as they should. And also the data that shows that if something goes wrong and these measures are not working as they should, that they'll know and they'll do something about it in real time. So that's something that we also noticed, learned. And it's just it's summarized by you know the fact that you cannot manage what you don't measure and that's largely missing a big issue in commercial and buildings and schools and I, i've got a text question here it says no drift are you using the sensor manufacturers claims or are you testing that performance yourself oh we do test uh the performance ourselves but the the first step for us is that we when we pick sensors to use, uh, just coming from the healthcare background, we do not compromise on the quality of sensors, period. And um, because of that, we do we uh, perform a lot of diligence in picking the sensor manufacturers that we work with. And a lot of the big criteria for us is that we go to the sensor manufacturer that is the original inventor of that sensor technology and we procure directly from the innovators of those uh, sensor technologies. And that cuts a lot on you know, potential of using sensor that's not good. But once we do that, and we uh, actually procure the best sensors, best in class, we uh, definitely do a lot of testing uh, ourselves internally in our R&D uh, labs and make sure that things are as they are the, the manufacturers are claiming and before putting them into the market, integrating them into our product. Interesting. Um, and, and since you're, you're probably, well, let's, let's start with this. How do you choose where to put the sensors once, you know, once you've got a client like the Denver public schools, what do you do to figure out, okay, what's the most important place to put these sensors? Yes, uh, it's, uh, it's a combination of our own experience, um, uh, some looking at some guidelines, like what well and fit well type organizations are putting there, and uh, talking to the actual client, the school officials and facilities team, commercial real estate, uh, engineering team and bringing all of that together to figure out location. Uh, so uh, sometimes, uh, for example, for co some commercial real estate buildings, uh, building owners and operators, they the 
the what they want to get access to in real time when it comes to air quality is what they call core and shell um, of the building. And so uh, they're focused primarily on that, um, on how their HVAC systems are operating. Uh, so the ventilation system and the configuration they did to enhance air quality and the filtration improvement that they did, whether they went to MRF 13, 15, what, and what have you. And so in those cases, based on that input, that that's the data that they want. They want to know if these new changes are working properly. We focus on core and shell. So we're putting the sensors in the outside air, supply air, uh, supply air and turn air ducts and looking at the data continuously in those areas. Then you have schools, for example, that have uh, that are in states that mandate indoor air quality monitoring in every classroom, uh, or at least your two levels. Uh, and so in, for, for those types of um, buildings, school buildings, we have to put a monitor in every classroom. And so it really changes based on the circumstances, who we're working with, and what are they trying to do with the data. I've got a couple other follow-ups from our audience, but first, um, you said some states mandate this type of monitoring. I wasn't aware of that. Can you tell me more about that? Yes. Uh, so um, the first one that I'm aware of because I was involved in in that process is that is California. They had a bill that passed by Governor Newsom in late 2020 um, that is requiring uh, schools in California to uh, monitor CO2 levels at the minimum in every classrooms. And that was um, at the heels of understanding that school buildings uh, have aging infrastructure when it, when it comes to HVAC and how it's important that we improve air quality in this learning environment, especially CO2 levels, because uh, it's tied to cognitive health. And uh, there are effects on uh, energy uh, consumption and uh, conservation when that when you're monitoring CO2 as well. So all those together created this bill that was passed uh, a couple of years ago. And so the schools in California are looking at ways to comply with, with, that, with those mandates. Uh, recently, uh, uh, um, Maryland State also um, passed a bill that requires schools to report twice a year um, on the CO2 levels in all their classrooms. And so that uh, uh, initiated few efforts in some of the districts in Maryland to start to look at technologies to do that. And uh, these are just a couple of states that you know, I'm, I'm aware of, but um, uh, we believe that uh, more states will come on board. I hear that Nevada is also uh, looking at look, doing something similar and and whatnot. So I think it's coming to all states. All right. Well, I got a, an audience question here. What is the sensitivity of your particle sensors at, for instance, zero point one micrometer? Um, I don't have that handy, um, but we can send that after if needed. Okay. If you send that to me, we'll put it in the blog. Yes. Sure. Now, the other thing I I noticed that you your group seems to focus on is um, energy. You know, right. you're not just looking at indoor air quality, you're tying in energy. Now, I didn't notice on the um, on the dashboard that we looked at where the energy was. Was that shown on that and I missed it? 
Um, no, it's that uh, that particular dashboard was geared towards uh, end order quality monitoring type data. Um, but yes, uh, the energy side is a big factor in uh, in managing buildings uh, nowadays uh, because buildings there are three when you're operating a building there it's there are three factors or the three legged stools are comfort which is levels of you know temperature humidity too hot too cold so keeping an eye on that energy um that ties to operating expenses in the building and then now HVAC type data for the health and wellness of that type of indoor spaces so you have to look at all these three data points to uh, make sure that you're managing being responsible for you know the buildings and the people that are occupying those spaces and so um, what has happened in the past is that there was this interest in energy conservation so there is some data around energy um, in in, uh, in 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 the market they are leading the pack in terms of data that is available in buildings and then when COVID hit, there was a uh, push to add the indoor air quality type data, which is largely missing from all types of indoor spaces. Uh, and temperature humidity is typically there with the thermostat and whatnot. So it's these three data points are always important um, and will continue to be important to optimize, to look at uh, together, uh, to make sure that buildings are performing well, they're staying healthy, healthy uh, for people, and uh, that, you know, we know that there are a lot of um, sustainability targets with ESG decarbonization activities and push. And so um, all, all of those things are now becoming really important. All right. So what we're going to do, we're going to take a little break for what we call our halftime here. We're going to thank our sponsors and I'm going to try and get back on the main line, but uh, we'll see how that goes. I'm going to keep the phone line open just in case. So we'll be back with our guest, uh, Serena Momin. We're, we're looking forward to the second half of the show. Our marquee sponsor is First On Site, your trusted full service disaster recovery and property restoration company at firstonsite.com. Association sponsors are ACGIH, Advancing Careers of Professionals in Environmental Health, Industrial Hygiene, and Safety, Interested in Defining Their Science, ACGIH.org, AIHA, Healthy Workplaces, A Healthier World, AIHA.org, The Cleaning Industry Research Institute, See More Deeply Through Science and Research, CIRI science.org the iicrc a nonprofit standards development and certifying body for the cleaning and restoration industry iicrc.org industry sponsors are aeml laboratories free shipping great pricing same day results with no rush fee aemlinc.com particles plus Feature rich particle counters and air quality instrumentation. Count on us. Particlesplus.com. TSI Inc., an industry leader in precision instrumentation for monitoring indoor air. Learn how to expand your IAQ investigations. TSI.com. Sunbelt Rentals. Availability, reliability, and ease for all your IAQ and restoration needs 
at sunbeltrentals.com. April Air, healthy air, healthy home. April, A-I-R-E.com. And Healthy Indoors Magazine, a free online magazine for industry professionals and consumers. Healthyindoors.com. So integrating the data you collect with building management systems, (laughs) that's kind of the holy grail. So getting your data, you know, your sensors connected to, and I'm not an expert on this, so correct me where I'm wrong. They're connected to your system, which is then connected up to the cloud, and then they get their data back. And now we're trying to coordinate that with our building management systems. How is that going? Is it going? Is it going to be tough? Yeah. It is, like you said, the holy grail and it's where the industry is moving, especially now with the increased interest in indoor air quality. But before I go too much into the building management systems and integrating with them, um, was, uh, I was reading this uh, market research the other day and it was saying something like 80% of buildings don't even have building management system. And that makes 80%? that the whole- of buildings don't have building management systems. Okay. They're just too small. They just, you know, don't need that uh, sophisticated type platform and technology in place. And that makes the need for IoT solutions, which are retrofitable sensor-based technologies that can get the data that typically BMS gets. There is energy, air, airflow, and now indoor air quality into more of a virtual type BMS. So there is an application for that. But there's also the buildings that do have BMS. And yes, your question about integration with those is is important. And there are two things that we do in terms of integrating with the BMS for different purposes. Um, The first is integrating with BMS to get the data out of the BMS to make it more real time from anywhere at any time and tie that to the other data set that we augment with our sensor technology. So... In this cloud platform that you're seeing, we can start to now also add uh, the BMS data. So the BMS in that case is just like another data source that we connect to with our hardware or IoT technology and system to grab that data. And now it becomes real time, uh, more meaningful, change the whole operation of the building to be more um, proactive versus reactive. And so that's one type of integration is bringing it to the the data, taking it from the VMS on site to the cloud, adding other data points, doing powerful analytics and proactive, uh, changing to proactive integration, uh, operation of buildings. The other piece is what you're saying is that if you have a BMS, you're adding new data points that the BMS didn't have before as far as how it's operating at track systems and whatnot. And now we're adding those data points around health and wellness, which is IAQ type data uh, that's missing that the BMS didn't have before as, you know, when, when you're changing set points and uh, doing the rules, you know, about how, how, how the BMS is configured. And now we're able to also integrate that into the BMS so that it takes those additional particulate matter level, VOC levels into consideration at CO2 levels. Uh, versus just temperature and humidity, which was the past, you know, how it used to work. Maybe um, CO2. Yeah, CO2 is, is a big thing for sure. And uh, that will optimize how much ventilation is happening, where it's less, you know, energy consuming, not overventilated, based on additional data sets. So it's a smarter way of, do, of doing it. 
Um, and that's typically a BACnet type. You know, you take the, the sensor data, you integrate with the BACnet gateway, which we also have that we can then uh, integrate physically, you know, on site to enhance how BMS operate. All right. Two things. One is you started this not that long ago, so you, you kind of jumped from the um, IoT world into the building world. And it seems to me in our few conversations, you've picked up really quickly on a lot of the HVAC terminology and how they work and, you know, uh, what ventilation is and, and how many air changes per hour and ASHRAE and all that. I'm wondering for those of uh, in our audience that, you know, are in the indoor air quality space, but they're maybe not that familiar with HVAC systems. How did you pick up on that so quick? Was there any particular source or um, tips <laughs> that you could give people for how to how to learn this stuff? Yes, it's really getting data from people uh, on the ground in the field that deal with real time issue, re- real world issues in buildings. That's really how. We came up to speed. We uh, got ideas on what to incorporate in terms of sensitive real-time data, sensitive data features into our platform. It was really our customers talking to the customers, going in the building, meeting with the engineers in the building and asking them, what real-time data would you wish to get so that your life is easier? And you know, how do you operate your HVAC uh, system? What could we give you? And, and things like that. That's really how the learning curve accelerated uh, for uh, me personally, for, for the business as well, coming from the healthcare space. Um, and I always remember this one time I you know, met early stages, early customer, um, met with them in their building. I started asking, Hey, we're doing, we're wanting energy data. Uh, what else would you want in real time? And they said, come with me. And they took me, ended up in, in the roof of the building in my high heels. And they wanted to show me their cooling towers in the rooftop uh, and uh, showed me, here is uh, the data that we want. It's the cooling tower data. And this is why we want it. And I'm there in the rooftop taking notes and learning about, you know, how, what's important for them. So that was always a funny story. And it's definitely one in, one um, event that really helped me understand how HVAC systems work. <laughs> and what, what, what kind of surprised you about schools and their systems? I mean, is it, the variety of systems? Is it the maintenance on the systems? What what kind of, as an outsider, surprised you going in? Um, that just most people are blind to what's happening in schools um, in terms of, of, of data that will help them answer whether, you know, they're doing a good job with maintaining, you know, a good level of health uh, and, and wellness for uh, the students, teachers, everyone, the staff. Um, and so that's that's the biggest thing is just that, you know, we're dealing with a big invisible kind of threat, put solutions that you can't see if they're working or not. So it's a lot of invisible and blind spots uh, that schools had. Um, so that was a big thing. Um, and then, oh, you know, we know we've heard a lot of uh, uh, research around the fact that um, 
over half of the uh, school buildings in, in the nation uh, have aging HVAC infrastructure. And even post COVID, I think it was like for all, just 40% that even made improvements to that. So um, the aging infrastructure is another issue, which brings uh, IoT, which is a technology that can just be installed in a retrofit capacity and retrofitable way. Um, becomes really important because you really it's hard for schools to just rip out old all systems and add new ones. And sure. do you actually need to do that? Well, if you actually have sensor data that tells you, well, this school is good, but this school really needs it, then you're able to invest the money in the right way. So that was it was kind of another thing. Um, and then there were schools, which was interesting that did, you know. Actually, for example, other organizations were provided recommendations to improve indoor quality uh, in schools. But some schools and, and, and the big recommendations to bring more outside air, right? Fresh air, better uh, diluted. But some schools don't even have the capability to bring outside air. It's just not designed to do that. So there was just so many, so many of these things uh, that we've we've seen and uh, you know, we just uh, think that there's breakthrough in sensor technology and IT technology to bring real-time data. It's affordable. And this is a very, very easy way to start to improve this infrastructure. And, and this is something that we didn't have, what, 10 years ago? You couldn't have done what you're doing now, I, I'm guessing. Yeah. Yeah, sensor technologies become more uh, advanced and also from an accuracy perspective, from affordability. Uh, so we're definitely in a, in a good, better place nowadays. Well, I get people that are looking to purchase sensors, maybe just to, just uh, for their home or, or for, you know, small projects. Is there any, can you give us any tips on how to find the best sensors? Or if you find the best, just tell us, I don't care. Give us the company name. I mean, I'm, I'm here to get good information to our audience. And if you can help point them in the direction of the best types of sensors to use for this type of work, that would be great information. Yeah. I mean, I think it's uh, more about the type maybe the type of data. So it's, um, you know, when it comes to indoor air quality, you want to monitoring, you want to at least have um, uh, a solution that has temperature and humidity sensing, CO2 sensing, particulate matter sensing. It would be nice to have a VOC sensor. So that's kind of the basis. So looking at solutions that do that, you want to also look at uh, uh, looking at the accuracy of the sensor data, the manufacturer of the data of the sensor technology, making sure that they uh, there's no compromises on on those sensor data uh, and sensor technology that's used. Um, and then I want to say that one of the things is also looking at back to the energy side of things. You want to look at solutions that hopefully can have a future-proof path where you're able to you know, add other types of sensors. We're seeing ozone, for example, is a big deal. Um, I heard that. <laughs> I was talking to a uh, former uh, California senator, state senator, and he was telling me there's an area in California where there are more cows than people. And so ammonia uh, sensor, ammonia levels becomes really important to monitor in those places. And so the future 
path of adding other air quality sensor, but not outside of this basic ones, is another thing to look at for in sensor manufacturers. Are, are there any companies you can say have done a really good job of putting together a um, like small residential, residential or small commercial building sensor that? You know, you you feel pretty comfortable. Like I know we've looked at the spec and we've looked at. Um, mm -hmm. uh, there's been a few, uh, but I'm wondering if there's any in particular that you recommend. Um, I think that what we have with the in, on the senseware side of thing for indoor air quality is um, something definitely to look at. Um, Particle Plus, which is one of your sponsors, they have really powerful part particulate matter sensor. Uh, so we like them, we integrated their solution also in some places where we wanted really accurate submicron counting of, of particle levels. Um, yeah, I would say that's, you know, the other type, maybe one example. Okay. Yeah. Um, now I've got another text question here. Are there, is there any predictive analysis built into Senseware, like system review of trends, et cetera? Yes, that's a great question. It's uh, definitely the next big thing that we are working on. Uh, we currently, since inception, we've gathered so much real-time data. Uh, we process over 300 million data samples every day that is coming from these different sensors. And so we accumulated all this data over years and seasons and types of sensors and buildings. And the next thing that we're seeing the indices moving towards is can you tell us about the issues that happen before they happen and also what are anomalies? One of the things I've been wanting to ask you, I'm going to read a section here from, I think, either one of your people sent me or I saw on the web. SensorWare's technology is the first of its kind sensor-based platform supported by 43 patents. It provides real-time assurance into critical areas such as indoor air quality, energy consumption, risk of water leaks, leaks equipment status, and more. Risk of water leaks caught my attention. How do you handle that? Is that a sensor that you put on? Tell me, how do you do that? Yeah, yeah. The water is a big thing in buildings. And typically, you don't know the how important it is until after there is an issue, like a water leak and the damages and the losses that are associated with water. In fact, one of our customers, a construction company, suffered a $2 million water damage uh, loss uh, on their job site. And that's the type of issues that happens when there is a water issue. So as far as adding real-time data, visibility in operating buildings, water is a big, big aspect of ty types of real-time data. And, you know, there are different ways to do it. There's connecting to the water meter and looking at spikes. And uh, saying, you know, in, in where you shouldn't see spikes and saying, okay, this is an indication of leak, um, monitoring some water pipes. So putting sensors that wrap around the pipe, uh, ultrasonic sensors, and that would look at flow and also detect anomalies in that. And that's an indicator for water leak. And another solution would be just like a, a water kind of pod sensors that you put locally where you know there are vulnerable areas like next to. Um, you know, in the mechanical rooms or, you know, places like that in the building, some restrooms rest and whatnot. Yeah. So there are different kind of strategies in terms of detecting water leak in buildings. Um, and those are some of the things that, that we, we're doing in, uh, 
we were able to kind of integrate this new type of data set very quickly into our platform. I've got a comment here from the audience I want you to comment on. It says, so what type of air quality sensor data is most related to indoor air quality? 20 experts may produce conflicting recommendations. I know you're not an indoor air quality expert, but I'm wondering, I know you have used indoor air quality experts to help you develop this program. Mm -hmm. From that, Um, from those conversations, what's most important? uh, Carbon dioxide, particulate matter, VOC levels, temperature and temperature and humidity, humidity mostly is our, is the big, the, the, the four, five big types uh, of senses that are, are you could relate to indoor air quality um, and buildings. So, you know, carbon dioxide can be tied to ventilation performance. And then on the particulate matter side, one of the things that we are changing in the way we are monitoring that is, is to use senses that can, we upgrade it to senses that uh, next generation that can measure submicron size particles. And that's important nowadays, uh, we believe, because uh, it's uh, proven specific, especially valuable to assess the performance of the upgrades in air filtration systems that use MERV 13 or 15 filter to 15 filters. Uh, and uh, just using those types of um, more advanced sensor, particulate matter sensors, uh, you could tell whether those filtration systems and improvements are working as they should. So in in our world, you know, we're kind of shifting towards, you know, those types of particulate matter sensors um, as, you know, kind of the minimum that we we try to deploy. I'm I'm kind of reading Ed Light's mind here. although he also texted earlier about VOCs and monitoring VOCs, that there's no really good data to show that they are correlated with the health effects. How do you, how do you handle that? I mean, why VOCs? Is it something that um, states may mandate or is it something that you picked up from your experts? You picked up from experts just as another type of contaminant and uh, in the regular uh, you know, units that we have in solution has the total volatile organic compound type sensor. It doesn't identify specific organic compounds, uh, but it's a good way to just say, okay, they something, an organic compound exists. And it's more, it's less of looking at it as a way to say, oh, it's good or not. It's a way for us to say, okay, if it we, we look at it as another contaminant to uh, determine whether the ventilation systems work. Uh, so it's an input into our ventilation performance index because we look at the spikes in VUC and the rate of decay in addition to particulate matter and CO2. And these three, you know, using three contaminant levels in that type of analysis is is really helpful to make sure that we are, uh, you know, we're rating the systems in the right way. So that's how we use it. But um, we do have the also some, in some cases, uh, some buildings want to, for example, go for FitWell certification. And FitWell recommends you specifically monitor for formaldehyde as a type of UC. And so in some cases, we actually add specific sensors that pick up on specific uh, VOCs um, and deploy those. So it's a case by case. So that's how we approach VOCs typically. The, the formaldehyde sensors, the newer versions, on how 
uh, are they economical? Uh, they're definitely more expensive, but there are really good ones that are affordable for sure. Okay. And I'm wondering, you know, early on, I, or even all through my career dealing with schools and IAQ and, and buildings and IAQ, there seemed to be this kind of, uh, I want to say adversarial, but um, maybe they looked at each other a little askew. Like um, I had the energy guys and then I had the facilities maintenance guys and, and the energy guys were focused on energy and, and really not that interested in IAQ and the uh, facilities maintenance guys seemed to be more interested in, you know, making sure the IAQ complaints were brought down. Did you find the same thing when you came into the industry? A hundred percent. You have the sustainability group, you have the IT group in the building, and then you have the engineering group. Uh, I forgot that group. Okay. (laughs) You want to bring them all together. And, you know, the way we approach it is that we're always saying, okay, well, if you get real-time data around IQ, around energy and edgeback, you're able to tie the maintenance team, IAQ team, or public building team, and the energy people, you know, into a single team. Because now you're not um, improving on one side and affecting the other. And, um, and uh, you know, you're lessening that push-pull and ensuring collaboration. And, um, you know, just data always provides this objective basis of tackling complex problems like this in buildings. And uh, that's what, uh, you know, we're hoping to kind of influence the industry to move towards so that, you know, we're, we're not seeing what you, you have experienced. All right, John, let's go to the roundup. The Roundup is brought to you by April Air, providing healthy humidity, ventilation, and air purity solutions for new and existing homes. April Air, healthy air, healthy home at aprilaire.com. All right, I've got two questions. One is you mentioned when we were talking, at least, the ASHRAE IAQ procedure becoming more important. Now, you're kind of new to this, and yet you're telling me that this ASHRAE IAQ procedure, which has been little used in the past, is very important or is becoming more important. And we're going to be doing a show in December with uh, the folks from 62.1. So I'm curious, what's been your outsider's perspective on that? Yeah, the main thing where we started to see an interest in indoor air quality monitoring was as a result of um, just the industry, the operators uh, looking at some of the ASHRAE recommendations to improve indoor air quality and just not knowing how to uh, to really um, implement those recommendations it's been um, really hard, in some cases hard, hard to to implement them and so um, you know ashray um, had this um, as a result of some of those pressures, they had uh, um, improved on the indoor air quality procedures IQP. And in, in the IAQP is basically what it's trying to do is provide some recommendations that you, instead of saying, oh, just bring more outside air, that sometimes is hard to do. It's saying objectively look at the IQ levels, CO2 levels, for example, 
and then objectively based on the sense and the data around that bring the necessary type of um, or levels of outside air. Uh, so this is um, what it's trying to do is just um, address some of the concer concerns about overventilation, which can increase energy costs. And also bringing outside air means then some of the pollutants from outside could come into the, the space. So then you have to deal with that issue as well. So this is a new kind of change that, um, you know, we that is becoming more realistic, achievable by operators is looking at the data objectively to uh, determine how they can configure their attract systems. And we're helping with the sensor data to do that. And that, you know, ties closely with the discussion we had with Marwa Zatari, Christian Weeks, and Eric Malstrom. Okay. And they, they're in that business of trying to um, improve indoor air quality without the added costs of more and more ventilation. Yes, um, Marwa is, is the expert on that yeah. side of things. And uh, it's, I think it's what, you know, the direction that's that, you know, the industry is taking with using data plus, you know, uh, changes uh, to HVAC uh, configuration is, uh, I think, going to be uh, more meaningful and effective. All right, one more before we go, maybe two, but um, this one, depending on your answer, will definitely be an important one. Where are you headed? What's the future? What you know? What what do you see down the road five, ten years from now that we'll be able to do that we can't do now? I think it's you know just in the same way we know everything in real time. I can look at my phone, see where my kids are in real time. We are, the industry is starting to be conditioned to know important things in real time. And so I think the future is gonna look like you go into a building, you open up your phone, you know where you're going, you know, the building status and health, the energy consumption, the air quality in the space. Uh, and there's just so much more real-time visibility around the things that matter to us. Uh, that it will become just a standard in the industry. So we, uh, I, I project that happening and hopefully we'll play a role in, in making that happen. And before we go, is there anything I missed that you'd like to add? I, I've got five other questions I'd like to ask you, but I know you've got to run. Um, no, I think, yeah, I, you know, as, as far as summarizing, Ma um, it's hard to manage what you don't measure. And if you're starting to measure, look, make sure that the data is reliable. So IQ, especially, you know, those types of sensor data, make sure it's, um, you know, that you're vetting those technologies and sensors, and then look at IQ and energy together, because that's really important to tie those two data points. So I think that's my main uh, uh, summary, I guess, of, of the discussion today. And I'm just curious, how's business? How business, business is, is, is great. Uh, <laughs> it, it is booming and uh, we're excited. I love our work with schools. I'm a mom. And um, one of the things we're doing with schools, not just offering the IQ sensor and mounting, we develop a curriculum for the kids to interact with the technology and understand what it means and how things change and what the change means, you know, and, and whatnot. So we're I'm very passionate, and that's creating a lot of um, 
good opportunities for the business for sure. Well, that's wonderful. That's something we'll have to talk to you about in the future. It's something that we've brought up several times on the show that, you know, until we start teaching our kids yes. what's important with respect to their air, um, you know, this this won't really go very far. But I think once once people demand it um, organically that you're going to see great changes. 100%. Agreed. All right. Serene Almoman. Thank you, Dr. Almoman. Much appreciated. We we really enjoyed having you. I'm sorry we had a couple glitches, but we seem to have gotten it all ironed out now. And It was a pleasure talking to you, Joe. So much fun. Thank you for having me. Appreciate my it. My pleasure. We'll get you back sometime. All right. Our thanks awesome. to Serene and uh, SenseAware CEO, of course, John, you got to have faith that his work cut out for him today, but uh, he <laughs> held it in, held us in there real nicely. Uh, our fantastic sponsors, our loyal audience. Next week, we've got Allison Bales on his new book, Buildings Have to Breathe, or Does It? We'll be back next Friday at noon for the next episode of IAQ Radio Plus. For IAQ Radio, I'm Spike Reed saying thanks for listening. 